Now, I've never been to a circus, one of those big circuses that has the big animals that do amazing tricks and trapeze artists and all of these kinds of things. I've never been to a circus. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. I don't think there's ever been quite one of those circuses come to Yarmouth. There's been other circuses, but not the ones with animals and entertainment and this sort of thing. But here's the thing about circuses. They have all of these animals there, and elephants are one of the animals they have at a circus because, I mean, who wouldn't want to see an elephant up front? We see pictures of them. We talk about them. There's kids' cartoons about them. You ever see Babar, the elephant? We've, we've banned those kind of things from our house because our kids are too old now, and once you don't have to watch cartoons, it becomes really infuriating to have them on. I don't know if that's you, but that's me. When the kids go to bed at night, if there's a cartoon on, it makes me angry and we have to turn it off. It's just, I don't want to listen to those any longer than I have to. But elephants, they're, they're humongous. They're incredibly strong. Mandy and I were on a missions trip in Thailand a long time ago. Like how many years? 15? That's a long time for us. Years ago. It's like half of Mandy's life almost. And so 15 years ago, we were on a missions trip in Thailand, and we came out of a place where we were eating, and in the middle of the street was an elephant. Do you know how big those elephants were? I was probably as tall as to the elephant's kneecap. And, it was, and there was a guy that was sitting on it and riding it down the street. Apparently, he had to get on a ladder to climb up to the top of the elephant to sit down. They're just massive, strong creatures. But here's the thing about elephants and circuses. That when they do their act and they come out, they tie a rope around their leg and they put a stake in the ground and the elephant knows that's where it has to stay until it is time to go and perform again. And here's something else about elephants. They remember that so much that sometimes circus masters don't even have to put that stake in the ground anymore. The elephant just knows, I'm going to come out, I can't get away, I'm going to stand here until my master summons me again. And so here's the point of this. You and I are sometimes like elephants. Now don't take that the wrong way. But here's the thing, folks. We are free in Christ. We don't have to earn our freedom. It has been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb on the cross. We are free in Christ. But the devil's schemes would like to convince us that we actually do not have that freedom. Folks, we are free to the degree where we no longer have to give in to temptation. We are free where we are no longer slaves to sin. The Word of God declares this. However, the devil's schemes that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6.11 will try to convince us that we are not free. They will try to convince us that no matter what we do, no matter what, we are stuck in this pattern of thinking. We are stuck in this fear. We are trapped in this habit. But folks, the freedom has been bought and paid for. And when we mount the armor of God, we can become aware of that. Here's something that I think I've realized this past week, that freedom in Christ or righteousness, or right behavior, comes 
from understanding and believing who we are in Christ and the right things about God and not necessarily from trying harder on our own or putting more rules in place. The steps of freedom in Christ are taking captive every thought and being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And last week we talked about taking back the ground the enemy has taken using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so this morning, if you have your Bible with you, open to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. We're going to read the first 20 verses. This is a story of Jesus healing a demoniac. So Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted to the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus said to him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And so he gave permission to the evil spirits. They came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but he said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all of the people were amazed. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, I thank you this morning that we have been bought with a price, the price of your blood, that freedom has been bought for us and purchased for us. And now your word says that we can walk in it. And so, Lord, as we look into this story this morning, 
I pray, Lord, that we will understand even more fully and begin to move more completely on this journey to freedom in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, folks, I'm not planning to take an entire message this morning or a lot of time to talk about demons or devil or the sat- or Satan because I don't think there's any need to glorify dark spirituality by giving it lots of attention. But here's the thing. We have to not give it no attention either because sometimes we can speak so little of it we forget that there is a battle, that there is a war. Assemblies of God Theological Seminary professor Stanley Horton says that what Christians need to do is take a quick, sharp glance at the world of dark spirituality to understand the enemy that we have against us. Now the unfortunate part is this, that in our culture we fail to appreciate or acknowledge the authority we have in Christ, because we fail to acknowledge that there is indeed a spiritual world around us that is both good and bad, and that there is a spiritual battle. Because popular media trivializes spiritual encounters and prevents them in fictitious ways that makes them almost laughable. I mean, have you seen the stereotypical way that the church and Christians are presented in popular media? I mean, movies like License to Wed, if you've seen that one, is about a couple who are going to receive marriage counseling from a priest. It's a comedy film. And the way that the church and the way that Christians and the clergy are portrayed is is so far from reality that we are just simply the happy-go-lucky, airheaded kind of folks that are uneducated and uneducated informed, ignorant of the real things of life, and and really masked from them. And if you've seen that movie and know nothing else about the church, you would never come to me for premarital prep because of the way that that clergy person handled that. Mandy and I had the honor of doing premarital prep with Katie and Connor Ryerson. I'm not sure what they expected, but I think they were appreciative that it wasn't anything like popular media portrays. Or on the other hand, we have the incredibly hypocritical portrayal of Christians in the local church where the supposedly devout and strong Christian character is the one that has also the most destructive and dark aspects of with their life. And then on the other side... We're familiar with the plethora of movies and books that have been released that take the occult and occultish practices and dark spirituality and present those in fictitious ways that we can just call plain old entertainment. Some of these horror films are designed to give us goosebumps or, or they portray things like psychics and mediums and Ouija boards in a lighthearted way that seems like just a fun pastime for friends. And what we forget when we are lulled by these media influences is that the word of God says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus comes with life and he gives us abundant life. But we forget that in our culture sometimes. We forget that. We trivialize that. And sometimes even people within Christian circles and within the church, they decide that I'm going to consult this New Age spiritualist, or I'm going to go consult a medium, or I'm going to entertain the possibility of speaking with the dead, a practice that in the Old Testament, God Almighty of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob told us was an abomination. 
if it were even possible. The jury is out to whether the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel spoke with Samuel or whether it was a deceptive spirit. You can read it and take your pick. But the Old Testament, and indeed what Paul affirms in the New Testament, is this. Our hope is in the present. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not with the dead, but with the living. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. The fact of the matter is that within our Canadian culture, we do not acknowledge the spiritual realm as much as perhaps we ought to. Then when we read this story in the Gospel of Mark this morning, we read about an individual who the language says in our text in the NIV, New International Version, that this individual was possessed by a demon. And we make a distinction between possession and oppression within our church circles. Not necessarily that we see that in the New Testament, but because of this, because there is absolutely no room for a demonic force to enter inside of us and to control us from the inside if indeed we are in Christ because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. What fellowship can light and darkness have in one being? When we become saved, Romans 8 and 9 tells us the Spirit of God comes and lives within us and therefore we are protected from from the kind of experience that we read here in Mark chapter 5 where there is a demon inside, where there is dark spirituality inside and is affecting us. We are free from that. But we can certainly be subjected to attacks from externally, from around us, from the forces of dark spirituality around. The Apostle Paul talks about this. These are the devil's schemes. And so this this individual here in Mark chapter 5, he had a very different life than those around him. It tells us that he lived in a graveyard, that he was often bound in chains, that he had strength that was, that was abnormal. He was clearly under the control of dark spirituality. And when you read Jewish history, it was taught this, that those who live in graveyards and entertain lifestyles like that were thought to reap the destructive of their deviant behaviors. Jewish historical literature says this, The rabbis taught who is deemed an imbecile, he who goes out alone at night and who spends nights in the cemetery and tears his garments. Even the prophet Isaiah warns against this. And again, it's figurative. A person who continually provokes me to my face, who offers sacrifices, who sits among the graves, who spends their nights keeping secret vigils, who eats the flesh of pigs, and whose pots hold the broth of impure meat. Isaiah chapter 65. Here's the thing. This individual, Mark chapter 5, and and other individuals throughout Scripture and in history have opened themselves to forces of dark spirituality and they reap the destruction that comes from that. Mandy and I had an experience early in our ministry with an individual who passed away quite suddenly. And it was... It was a a very troubling and disturbing experience. The individual had confessed and confided in folks that there were spirits living inside of her that were telling her that she ought not to go to church, ought not to spend time with Jesus, 
and she wasn't quite sure which she was going to choose yet. This isn't a conversation we hear very often within our Canadian context. Certainly, this, we read this in the biblical worldview. But what happened one evening, while this individual was home, there was a seizure that took place in her body. Because she was home alone, she seized for so long that despite all the efforts at the IWK, they could not bring her back. And upon autopsy, there was no explanation medically for why she should be predisposed to having a seizure. And here's something that we realize very early on. That the forces of darkness are there. And that we have freedom in Christ and protection from Christ. But when we open our lives to the deception, to the allure, to the entertainment perhaps even, it ends one way. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has authority over all of this. Do you see what happens when Jesus approaches the scene? The man runs out to Jesus. The man runs out to him and the demons plead with him, don't send us away. Don't make us leave here. They don't fight back. They don't mount an attack. Why do you suppose that is? Do you remember what the writer James says? We believe in God. Yes, so do the demons. And they shudder. There is an automatic recognition of the power and of the authority that was found in Jesus Christ. And because of that, they realized that there was no hope, that there was no reason to mount an attack, that there was no reason to battle because there was a stronger power present, and it was present in Jesus Christ. But here's the unfortunate thing as the story ends. The unfortunate thing is this. The townsfolk, they didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. The townsfolk, in fact, came to Jesus and asked him if indeed he would just leave the area. You know, folks, I have to ask you a question. If there was someone in our town, as described in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, if there was someone in our town that was violent and demonstrated extreme strength and was volatile and lived in the graveyards and and was just that kind of a, a menace in our community, and someone walked in and that person was able to find freedom and you found them fully clothed, in their right mind, sitting there, what do you think our response would be? Praise God. Come and help us do this more. But the townsfolk in Mark chapter 5 tell us this. The townsfolk said, we don't want you here. We want you to leave. Pastor Aaron's going to come back in a moment as we prepare to conclude. And we're going to conclude with praying again and mounting that sword of of the Spirit. But this is the thing. Like the townsfolk sometimes, the church 
Christians, our culture, we sometimes uh, think that we are stuck in different places and stuck with different things that we can never get rid of, or maybe sometimes that we don't even want to get rid of. Maybe this morning some of us gathered here are walking through places where we know we don't have complete freedom and we don't know how we got there and and maybe in some cases we're not sure if we want to leave there. Maybe we're walking in fear. Maybe we're walking in anxiety. Maybe we're walking in anger. Maybe we're walking in jealousy. Maybe we're walking in emotional turmoil. Maybe we're walking in depression. Maybe we're walking in substance addiction. Maybe we're walking in all kinds of different things. Here's the truth, folks. We were made physical beings and spiritual beings. And so when we press back in our lives, we press back, yes, physically with the best emotional care and medical care that we have. We need to press back spiritually as well because we are spiritual beings also. And so this morning, you and I, we are all susceptible to the devil's schemes. Just because we're adults in this room, or almost adults, some of us, doesn't mean that we're past all of this. We have all the freedom that we are going to have. We have, we have released, and, and, and this is the best that we're going to be. Jesus Christ has authority over every lie and every deception that the enemy can share with us. And in the church, we talk about putting off things often. We talk about putting off sin. We talk about putting off acts of the sinful nature. And that is solid teaching and that is good things. But here is something we don't talk about as much. The things that we need to put on. Because in the Gospel of Luke, another story where Jesus came or the disciples came and, and the demons fled they came back and found that the place was swept tidy, it said, but that there was no one guarding it. And they came back in, and the second situation was worse than the first. And so it does no good to put off one thing without putting on another, and indeed it is entirely impossible in our own strength to put off some things. And so this morning, as we wrap up this morning, We're going to take some time, as we did last week, to put on the armor of God. We're going to take time with that sword of the Spirit, and we are going to put on some understanding and some belief this morning. My prayer is that through this series of Freedom in Christ, that some of you will experience freedom from things that maybe have held you back for a long time, and we will hear testimony of that. Because either there is freedom in Christ and there is power in the word of God or Paul was mistaken in Ephesians 6 when he told us about the armor of God, especially the sword of the spirit with which we can advance and take back the ground that the enemy has taken from us. So let's stand together this morning. Lord, we come And we confess our need of you. We come and confess this morning, Lord, that in some areas of our life, we are not as free as we would like to be. 
And we confess, Lord God, that though you have purchased our freedom, we don't walk as free as we could sometimes, perhaps because we don't realize the power that we have, the freedom that we have through you. So folks, this morning, just allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind areas where you might not be walking in complete freedom so that we can apply the word of God and lift the sword of the Spirit this morning and do battle in those areas. Allow the Spirit of God to raise these to mind. We thank you, Lord God. It's a deeply personal thing. It's a deeply personal moment. But Lord, our desire this morning, our desire as a church, as Evangel Assembly, is to walk in your freedom. Our desire is to walk in your freedom. And so, Lord, show us the areas where we are not free. And as we renounce the lies or confess the sins, using your word, break the chains that have held us back, Lord. 